Welcome to the Pilgrim's Well podcast. Pilgrim's Well is produced by Seventh Reformed Church as a resource for the souls of Christians wherever you are in your journey. Here we share testimonies, provide spiritual encouragement, and discuss key topics for the Christian faith, systematic theology, and so much more. Join us now for today's episode of the Pilgrim's Well. Lord God, we thank Thee for this opportunity to speak about very important things for the spiritual inward life of a genuine Christian. And as we reflect particularly on the Puritans and how they promoted holiness and intimate communion with Thee, we pray for clarity, pray for helpfulness, pray for both Paul and myself that we'll have a good natural back and forth and that this, these uh, broken down videos into four different sections would, that each section would be would be helpful for people, and that many people would would listen and learn and be stimulated to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Bless Paul, bless his ministry here, bless all the people in this room and grant that thy benediction may rest upon these podcasts by all who participate in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello and welcome to another episode here at the Pilgrim's Well. Today I have the great joy of introducing to you and uh, having a conversation with Dr. Joel Beakey. Most welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you, Paul. Yeah, Dr. Beakey is the founder and president of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. He is also uh, a pastor here at Heritage Reformed Church in Grand Rapids uh, and the author of many books. Um, I think a hundred or over a hundred now. Probably a few too many, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, it's been a great blessing, and I could give testimonies of people that have been blessed, um, not by you, but by the Spirit working uh, in the work that you do. So glory be uh, to God. Um, I'd like to start with um, asking if you could share how the Lord uh, opened your eyes to see the gospel. Yes, well, when I was nine years old, I was under a lot of conviction of sin, but it faded away. It was the common work of the Spirit, I believe. Uh, when I was 14, I was on a trip. I was actually in Yellowstone National Park, mm. and... Um, the Lord dealt with me there in just a moving, powerful way, and I just became a lost sinner before God. Mm. I wept nearly the whole way home, went to all my friends, and told them I really couldn't be their friends anymore until I found God. Mm. And I was in a public school. They, nobody understood me, but I holed myself up in my bedroom every night, read the Bible from cover to cover several times, um, and I ransacked my father's bookcase, which was full of Puritans, especially the old Banner Truth Puritan paperbacks. And they were, they were quite a help to me and um, did help bring me some comfort, some hope. But we finally got a minister. Our church was vacant for 41 years. Wow. And um, the minister came over to meet our family. And he came right at the time when I was... I mean, I was Jonathan Edwards' spider hanging over the pit of hell, mm. and God was going to cut that thread any moment. Uh, I just felt like I was a reprobate. There was no hope for me. Um, 
partly because I felt like I had such God-fearing parents and I could never measure up to their mm. level mm. of holiness. And uh, I had a grandfather who was lacking assurance of faith, and the new minister said to my grandfather, for you too, there's a way of escape in Christ Jesus. Mm. And those words were like a thunderbolt mm. of comfort mm. in my mind. And it was me. God was speaking to me. And I understood for the first time in my life the terms which I learned later, passive and act of obedience, that through the double obedience of Christ, I was saved. Yes. And that he paid for all my sins and he obeyed the law perfectly for me. And he was my total righteousness, mm. just like John Bunyan had that experience where Christ's righteousness was everything. Mm. That's what happened to me. Exactly. And I went to bed that night and I was like, my hands were up to heaven for a couple of hours. I was just tears streaming down my face. My the burden rolled off my back. I'm free. I'm free. And I, I just had to tell somebody. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was so overjoyed. I knocked on my parents' bedroom door. My dad comes stumbling out and says, what's the matter? I said, Dad, I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. And I told him everything. And yeah, that was my, be my beginning. And then about a year later, I was um, working for my dad. And I was weeding a field, weeding a front lawn, actually, of a very fussy man. Mm. And um, I was just picking out weeds one by one. He didn't want to put weed killer on it. And so it was an endless job. I was there for like three weeks pulling mm. out weeds. And about halfway through, wasn't meditating on anything. And this is going to sound terribly mystical, but I'll tell you, it's the most real thing in my life. Um, it's like God spoke to me, not with an audible voice, though I thought at the moment it was, mm. but through his word, go forth and preach the gospel unto mm. all men, yea, even unto the sons of men. Mm. And I turned around and there was no one there. And I was just shaking. I was just shaking. And I, I thought, well, this is impossible. The youngest minister in our denomination is 52, mm. um, um, 15 or just turning 16, this is impossible. I'm so shy. I, I, I could never, never, never even think about the ministry. Mm. So I went, to the, I went to the minister, and I said, <laughs> you know, I had this text come to me with power, and I looked it up in the Bible, but it's not, it can't really be of the Lord, can it? Because it's not exactly, there's a couple words different from the King James Version. And he was so <laughs> wise. He goes, well, maybe it's the beginning of a call, but mm. time will tell. And God will confirm it in other ways. Wow. And um, meanwhile, I had become president of a new youth group. And they asked me to speak a couple times. That was like overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Me, shy me, speak. I never raised my hand in the classroom my whole life. Yeah. And um, But I, I prepared something. I was burdened with the gospel. I wanted every young person to feel the gospel the way I felt it. And so I did it, and, and the Lord helped me. I was amazed. And so I started speaking for Youth Day conferences, which uh, was very unusual in my denomination. Mm. And then people started coming to me and saying, don't you think maybe the Lord's calling you? And so I got some confirmations. And, and mm. meanwhile, my tongue was unloosened, and I just I lost my shyness, just wow. bringing the gospel. I went up down the street to my neighbors, knocked on the door, bringing them the gospel, people at work, people at school. I was like overflowing with zeal. 
until I one day went into a neighbor's house where she was Herbert W. Armstrong person, mm-hmm. believed in the so-called Plain Truth magazine and believed that the Holy Spirit was an it instead of a he, oh. and she had changed all the masculine references to the Holy Spirit in the Bible to it. Mm. And explained to me that in Greek, that's what it really meant. It was neuter. Oh, I had no idea what to say. Mm. So then I, I said, okay, I got to get a little more knowledge before I start going around house to house. So I just plunged myself into studying theology. And, and um, yeah, I was reading the Puritans day and night. I, was, I, I mean, I read literally my dad's whole bookcase. And then I was 20 years old and uh, 21 years old, and I came to the so-called curatorium, a, a, a group of nine men that would hear your call. Mm. And um, this is in the Netherlands Reformed Congregations. And uh, they accepted me, so I became a student for four years in St. Catharines, mm. instructed primarily by one man, a little bit by another. And then when I was 25, I was ordained in Sioux Center, Iowa, mm. to 700 farmers. I didn't know the first thing about farming. Uh, I got a rain gauge right away, though. <laughs> I, I realized I'd never make it without that. And um, then I went from 700 farmers to 700 white-collar people mm. in the, just outside of New York City, doctors, lawyers. Um, what a contrast between the two congregations. I felt at home in both of them, mm. but in this... And the Sioux Center congregation, I pretty much had to do all the talking when it came to spiritual things. And in New Jersey, well, they were very, very talkative. And so um, then I went down when I was in New Jersey to Westminster Seminary for six years. I was doing full-time pastoring the 700 and full-time seminary work. So I was extremely busy and um, accepted the call just as I was finishing off my PhD to Grand Rapids 36 Mm -hmm. years ago. Wow. And then about 28, 29 years ago, I, with my new denomination, uh, Heritage Reformed, I began Puritan Reformed Seminary, yeah. of which you are a beneficiary, yes. I hope, <laughs> and um, started Reformation Heritage Books because I was of involved which I'm also in a beneficiary. <laughs> okay, I was very deeply involved in the in the in the book ministry in the old denomination, but. When there was an unfortunate split, mm. then I lost all those books. And so I, I made it an interdenominational board. Uh, and so by the grace of God, both ministries are flourishing today. Mm. So I love, I love my work at Puritan Reformed. I love my work with Reformation Heritage Books, and I love being a pastor. Oh, wonderful. When I hear your, your testimony, it reminds me of the verse, Seek and you will find, and at the same time of... Uh, the power of God's speaking through the preaching Mm. and to pastors. Mm. And I think so often these things are either oversimplified or or over-mystified in the sense that um, there's no longer a call to seek. Uh, But the Lord says, if you seek, you will find. Um, But it's the seeking that must continue until the finding, and it's the seeking that is dependent upon God. Um, and And do you think that because part of you uh, coming by God's grace to an understanding of the gospel and Him saving you, do you through the work of uh, a pastor that spoke to you from God's word and His truths, do you think that has 
formed you as a pastor and, and understanding that when you preach, it's not only speaking and teaching truths, but it's mm-hmm. God speaking and opening the hearts of people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That pastor was a huge help to me. My father was also a huge help to me and mm-hmm. a huge influence in my life. I learned experiential theology from my father. I learned practical theology from my mother. Mm. She's a very godly, prayerful woman and very kind and sweet and really, really Christian in all her actions. Mm. So I had a wonderful upbringing, and uh, God was, God's been very, very good to me. But yeah, I also devoured sermons in those years. I was listening to sermons all the time. I, w- I couldn't drive to school. I couldn't drive to work without <laughs> having a... I mean, I never listened to the radio. It was always these old cassette tapes, you know. I had a whole <laughs> list. I had a whole lineup of all the ministers I wanted to hear. And, and um, yeah, I just absorbed... I just plunged myself into mm. spiritual sermons and reading and fellowship and... That all helped me, for me as a pastor. But I think most of all, God brought me through some very, very difficult experiences hmm. early in my ministry, made me a broken man. And um, that brokenness probably has formed my compassionate side to hmm. pastoral ministry hmm. more than anything else. Hmm. I really have uh, just a big heart for people that have heavy problems in any area of their life. And I've learned that you don't have to have the same problems. Mm. If you've really been broken to the core, mm. you can have compassion on anyone who's broken. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, in uh, a few years ago when I first met you, I don't think you remember our conversation, um, but you gave me the advice that in your life you always need to have three people, three kinds of people around you, the people that are ahead of you, uh, people that are in the same place of life as you and people that you can instruct. Uh, and it's interesting to hear in your own testimony that you've had people that you've learned from, uh, mm. people that you've had uh, that are in the same stage and people that taught you. And uh, mm. uh, I've passed that advice on uh, with the earmark that I received from you uh, many times, and it's been a big blessing. So well, you don't that's a personal to, you, thing. You, you don't have to earmark <laughs> it. It's fine. <laughs> we, are, we, all, we all borrow <clears throat> lots of thoughts from people. But um, yeah, what, what I told you then is also applicable I believe, the same principle for, for your own personal study life. Mm. You should always be studying as a minister something that's beyond you, stretches you, grows you. Yeah. And then you should always be working at the preaching level where it's sort of where you're at mm. or, or slightly simpler than where you're at. And then you should always be teaching um, at, at a very simple level where you never need any notes like, like yeah. a chapel at a school or something for yeah. kids. Um, I, I love that three-tier approach to, to relationships, but also to, uh, to your own study and your own growth. Yeah, very good. So um, I know you, you love books. Uh, it's clear about uh, what, mm. what you spend your time on. Um, you write, you're writing and co-authoring uh, many, many books. Any books forthcoming that we should keep our eyes on? Yeah, for, first let me just comment that... Um, when I was called to the ministry, when I was just turning 16, um, because all the ministers in the denomination were from the Netherlands and had, you know, they were struggling with their English a bit. Mm. And I, I felt, and there was no, deno- no seminary library. Mm. 
I felt a real burden to build a library. Yeah. And I actually felt that someday I would be a theological teacher. I didn't tell anybody mm-hmm. that. But I, I just felt we needed a library. Yeah. And I just felt a huge burden for books. And at the same time, for me um, to, to, to go forth and bring the gospel to all the nations was, was a calling to write. Mm-hmm. It wasn't only a calling to be a preacher. But that's, yeah. that's how I felt deep inside of me. Mm-hmm. And so I've been writing since I was a teenager, and wow. I, I've always felt all my life, and this is my weakness, but I've always felt that writing is, for me, a primary means of grace mm. to keep me close to God. Mm. So I'm a compulsive for yourself. writer. Compulsive writer. Yeah. So if I don't write for a couple of weeks, I mean, this sounds really odd, and I don't know many people <laughs> like this, but yeah. I, I start to feel like God is distancing himself from me, and mm. I'm not being fruitful. Mm. So late at night, especially, is my time to write. I get a second wind around 11 p.m. And I, and I write, and I just have to, I have to pour it out in, in writing. And so that, yeah. So that, what I, I, That's true because I used to live right next to you, and I would see you <laughs> I know. in his office many a time at times that were later than most people are yeah. in bed. <laughs> so what I have forthcoming right now is I'm actually leaving behind my life's legacy in teaching systematic theology. Mm. It's a four-volume set of about 5,400 pages or so. It's, it's, I mean, it's crazy big. But what I do, three volumes are done. The fourth volume I actually finished, and Paul Smalley, my TA, is taking my notes and helping me with this. So he has a co-authorship. Yeah. Uh, and the volume four is at Crossway right now. Uh, it's mm. being edited. It will come out in October. So then this uh, 10-year project will be, wow. will be done. But basically, from my side, it's pretty much done already. Mm. But um, yeah, so that's... And then projects I'm working on right now, I'm working on co-authoring a book on evangelical heroes from the 18th century to the 21st century with Douglas Bond. Oh, yeah. I did. We did Puritan heroes, Reformation heroes, and I'm starting to work on ancient and medieval heroes with Michael Haken. Yes. So it's going to be a set of homeschooling books type for, for kids about 10 to through high school, mm-hmm. and um, it's fun to do. A lot of illustrations, glossy pages, coffee table type books, but books that will interest young people when they open them up. Uh, that's wonderful. I, I love that you said that last part. The reason why I was smiling is because I've been thinking a lot uh, about the Church Fathers and the importance to, to read Church history through the different mm. stages, and Michael Haken is the one that got me at Puritan. So to really? see, yes. <laughs> okay. So he's the one that sent me uh, really? towards Grand that's, Rapids. Well, that's so, great to know. Yeah. That's so it's uh, it's that's wonderful to hear. Now, uh, I want to to come to a close. What books? And let me limit you to three to five. All right. Three to five books to Sounds read good. in twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three. Three to five books. Well. I always have a Puritan book going. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't read the Puritans and you haven't you want to start reading the Puritans, I recommend Heaven Taken by Storm by Thomas Watson. Yes. He will teach you chapter by chapter how to use the different means of grace to grow in communion with God. Um, if you want to read one good book of a biography, I would probably pick volume one of The Life and Times of George Whitfield by Arnold Delamar. I just got it in, so okay. <laughs> I can put it on the list. If you want to read an autobiography, I would, 
I'd either pick, if you've never read it, John Bunyan's Grace Abounding or Augustine's Confessions. Well, now I'm up to four already. Um, they can count uh, if, as if, half on okay, spot, okay. spot three. <laughs> if you would read a systematic theology, oh, boy. Um, these are my, not la- my last two. I would say, <laughs> I would say read Wahamas Abrakal, The Christian's Reasonable Service. Yes. It's very practical. And then um, I, I can't help but kind of throw a plug in for, for my own systematic theology <laughs> because we address contemporary issues. So what I do in that, by the way, is I, I look at what the Bible says about each doctrine, mm-hmm. then what church history says about each doctrine, then how do you experience each doctrine mm-hmm. in the soul, which most systematic theologies don't deal with. And then what are the five to ten major practical takeaways of that mm-hmm. doctrine? And then we end each chapter in doxology with a poem or a hymn so that no one, no one can ever, ever say doctrine is boring. Doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is heaven, said Martin Luther, for by these things men live. So I'm trying to stir up people to to see how exciting doctrine is. It's it's the the heartbeat of our spiritual life. Well, wonderful. Uh, And let me just say, if, if you're not familiar yet with it, but you're familiar with other Dutch authors, I... This is how I uh, read your uh, systematic theology. Uh, it's, to me, kind of a mix between uh, a Brockel, a, a Van Maastricht, uh, and um, Bavink. I think that's a high praise. But uh, to me, <laughs> wow. the Bavink, the, the, the focus on accuracy on theology and discussion with, with other views, that's what I think yeah. of Bavink. Uh, Van Maastricht, obviously, the, the theology to practice. Yeah. And a Brockel, the, the the worshipful and mm. warm theology. So that's yeah. when I first picked it up, I, I thought, hey, I see marks of these yeah. three at least in there. Well, actually, in my study, I have two pictures in front of me all the time hanging on the wall. Mm. One is the Westminster Assembly, mm. which is the English Puritan tradition, and one is the Sin of Dort, which is the Dutch tradition. Oh, yeah. And my conscious goal in life, in preaching, in writing, in seminary, is to take both the Dutch you know, the three men you just mentioned, but also the English Puritans, and merged them together, which was the goal of the original Westminster Seminary in, in Philadelphia. Yes. And, and, and the old Princeton, uh, to merge the best of both traditions and spit them out through my computer to 21st century speaking world. Well, wonderful. I don't know a better place to stop. So uh, we're going to see you back in the next episode where we'll dive into uh, prayer and the Puritans. Thank you so much. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in on today's episode of The Pilgrim's Well. For more, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and find us on YouTube at Pilgrim's Well. To find this church online, go to seventhref.org.